where you and I can connect. It's a show that embraces a 360-degree look at womanhood. It's our voice, our perspective. It's what we care about, and it's how we feel. Empowerment through conversation is what it is. This is Full Circle. Welcome to another edition of Full Circle. I am your host, Miss Wanda. So happy. You see, I'm feeling better than I did last week, and each week I'm going to get more and more cheerier. I know you're not going to be able to stand it after a while, but I'm feeling really good. Finally over all of the junk that was in the air and all of the stuff that was, oh man, I was so, you remember, I was so, so sick and I was telling you guys I was really, really sick, but I'm feeling so much better and I'm so excited to be in the studio once again and I have an amazing guest that I am so excited to introduce to you. But what I posted about her being on the show you know, people were like, you already got fans out there, man. <laughs> you got fans out there in the world. So I'm, I'm glad that we met. We met a little over a year ago at the, or a little under a year ago at the Sacramento Black Chambers mm-hmm. Connecting the Dots conference. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad that we stayed connected. Yes. Um, you had me do some work for you, which I want to talk to you about off air. Um, but um, I'm just glad that we're finally able to sit down and have a conversation. And, and I actually get to know you because outside of that one meeting, we haven't had much, you know, and that one thing, we haven't right. had much interaction. Well, thank you so much for having me here today. Yes. I'm very, very excited. I have been a fan oh, yeah. for a long time. So this is like my fangirl moment. I get to <laughs> be in studio with the whole woman herself in person. So it's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much. So family, let me introduce you to Robin Rose Hamer. And she is an organizational developer. She's also a member of the City of Sacramento Racial Equity Council. But let me give you a little bit of her background and then she will give you the rest but she is a graduate of the nehemiah emerging leaders program class i always get that is that six Six. class six six. best class ever the best class (laughs) but she is a leader she has taken her leadership level uh skills to the next level by strengthening her board's membership or her boardsmanship and program management skills in a variety of ways and we'll talk about that in just a moment i'm gonna just give the floor over to Robin <laughs> so that she can introduce herself to the full circle. Because I want to butcher your your amazing background. <laughs> well, it is, it's a storied past for sure. Uh, <laughs> I'm very excited to be able to walk through that with you and full circle family. Hi. Hey, what's up? Um, it's Robin. And I am so glad to be here with you. Um, I'm excited to talk about the Racial Equity Council So many amazing partners and colleagues uh, coming together to do good work, the good trouble, Mm -hmm. um, which we are actively stirring the pot for. So um, and and many other things. There's so many good things happening in Sacramento and, and amazing folks that I get an opportunity to work alongside. So thank you so much. It's so interesting that you say that because a lot of times we don't hear about 
some of the good things that are happening in Sacramento mm-hmm. or the people that are making it happen. Mm-hmm. And so I'm glad to be able to open kind of like reveal the curtain behind some of that stuff so people really know what's going on right. because we as as just community members may only see so much. Absolutely. Yeah. Um part of my background it was in the PTA and shout out to all my PTA moms out there, you know <laughs> who you are and you are doing all of the work for real for real. Um but when you get an opportunity to sit at the table uh, and take advantage of the information coming from the source, it really gives you a much greater insight than you know being an observer or when you you know sit um, you know on the other side of the social media lens and you know dive into what's happening. So uh, one of my very very first suggestions is get involved, find a way to be on a board, participate with a nonprofit organization, but get involved because that's where you get the realty. And and generally, um, that's what we need, that level of, you know, getting our hands dirty, you know, our feet wet, all of the euphemisms mm-hmm. <laughs> to make sure that we can, can get the real information. But I, I'm always happy to say what I know. Yes. So, Robin, let's tell everyone a little bit about your background. Are you a native Sacramentan? Where are you from? Tell us a little bit about who Robin is. For sure. So, I I was born in Chicago, Illinois. Okay. So originally I'm from the Midwest. Uh, my family came out to Southern California for a bit in 84. And I did high school in Southern California. So shout out to all my uh, Bishop Mott Memorial High School Lancers. Um, and then came up to the Sacramento area to go to UC Davis. And so in 1989, came up here as a little wet behind the ears, 17-year-old freshman, Mm -hmm. and uh, just loved it because I I was a Midwesterner and Davis 30 years ago looked just like my (laughs) tiny little town in Illinois. Um, I loved it, so I stayed. Yeah? Yeah. What was your goal of coming out here? What did you want to do when you were entering? You're like, I'm going to UC Davis. Mm -hmm. What what did you want to do? Total world domination. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, I thought that I was going to be a corporate attorney. Mm -hmm. I thought that, you know, I I grew up on Dynasty and L.A. Law. So, you know, I thought I was going to wear those suits with the big (laughs) puffy shoulder pads and walk around with my hair puffed up real big Uh and just tell, you know, everybody what to do. Um, And that was the image in my head that I had. But but really starting to understand my true mission um, in life, which is really to whom much is given much is expected and I've had so much grace and so many blessings and so many beautiful people who have poured into my life and the life of my children mm-hmm. um, that I just started giving back and it, it kind of stuck. Yeah. The, the, you know, we talked off air that you, I was reading your bio and your background and everything and it seems like you do have a, this life of community service. Mm-hmm. Where did that come from? My mother, she um, was a very difficult woman. Um, she had a lot of disappointments in life, and as most black women, you know, had a lot of burdens and responsibilities, mm-hmm. and that came out particularly to those closest to her as, as a, a being difficult. But she was a giver. She started a, a program to feed the homeless in L.A., um, and we used to go down to Skid Row every Wednesday with these pots of food that my mother would literally contrive out of nothingness. Wow in the beginning and we would feed 50, 100, 200 people. And and that was really my first exposure to people who are experiencing homelessness and and really their heart and, and how much 
they just want help and uh, really a more larger societal responsibility to be able to provide a system that can can create that help. And so, so much of my work has been interwoven into those moments yeah. um, out in L.A. giving people soup. That is, you know, I know we always try to engage our young people early. Mm-hmm. And I think that that, you know, those type of experiences really have an impact on how we view the future. If we don't have, and especially in, in our younger years, like I think that molds us Absolutely. to have those experiences of people that are less fortunate in you than you for whatever reason or mm-hmm. however it is, mm-hmm. um, to recognize that there's someone that always can use assistance and then the impact it has on your lens looking forward absolutely well we all get kind of steeped in our privilege and and that you know it's a buzzword now everybody Mm -hmm. talks about privilege Mm -hmm. but the reality is the function of it it just makes us a little bit lazy it makes us want to work a little less hard because we're comfortable Um, and the opportunity to look into the lives of other people um at the at the ground level you know looking at them eye to eye not not from a lofty position or not you know out your car window as you're driving by but literally stand with someone and and talk with them as a human it it provides you a different level of perspective and humility that maybe you don't have because it's it's real easy to judge at the stoplight right when somebody is standing there with the sign we can go through that whole like, well, I'm on my way to work and you should go to work too. And all of that is true. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you can work, if you're able-bodied, you should. But also, we don't know what kind of hell somebody went through to be in that moment that you're sharing with them. And so having some patience and some grace and, and just understanding that everybody's journey um, has been tough. Yeah, yeah. That compassion goes a long way. Absolutely goes such a long way. Compassion over judgment. Oh, I just made that. Yes. Hashtag compassion Come over on, judgment. T-shirt. <laughs> Let's get some bumper stickers. <laughs> so was that when you, you know, so you mentioned, you know, wanting to go to UC Davis and become this attorney. Was that kind of still influencing that those experiences you had as a young person, influencing like what type of law, law you would have liked to have done or... You know, it's interesting because it's it's very easy to talk about things in the rearview mirror. But when you when you put it like that, I didn't choose UC Davis. UC Davis chose me. So let, we'll we'll go all the way back back to the history. So um, my oldest daughter uh, is thirty four. I had her when I was fifteen years old. Mm-hmm. So um, from the very beginning, I've had a tremendous amount of of help and assistance. Her first crib was purchased by my mother's Sunday school class. So literally, um, the world has has wrapped us up in you know bubble wrap and doctor's cotton and just carried us forward. And um, so I wasn't going to go to college. Um, I went to uh, a lock-in event, y'all. Uh, Southern Baptist mm-hmm. folks know you go to the church and they close the doors and you have a a rip-roaring good time in the Lord. Um, but I went to a lock-in on the night of my graduation from high school. And uh, my pastor, because I wore my cap and gown to the lock-in, and, and my pastor said, oh, well, Robin, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to go to Mount San Antonio College. That's a okay. JC in, yeah. in Southern California. And he said, well, you know, what were your, what are your grades? And I told him, and he said, well, what was your SAT score? And I told him, and he said, oh, no, 
you're you're going to college. And I said, no, my mama wouldn't allow that because I have this baby. And he said, oh, no, we'll, we'll, we'll work it out. So that was a Friday night. On Saturday morning, he called the admissions director at UC Davis, wow. told her about me, and I got the last spot in the freshman class of 1989 at UC Davis on the word of my pastor. So I had a plane ticket and uh, packed up to go before I got an acceptance letter mm. to UC Davis. So UC Davis chose me. Um, and in my head, I was going to be an attorney because I, I have an aunt. My favorite aunt is an attorney, um, then turned judge. And so I looked at her life and it was just so fabulous, right? She drove a Lexus and she had all of these wonderful suits and she was always wearing lipstick, you know, right? The <laughs> ultimate being a lady. She was always wearing lipstick. And I, I just, I really wanted, really wanted to do that. And I, I got to Davis and I was an econ major. And the reason why I'm not a corporate attorney today is calculus. <laughs> <laughs> it's either calculus or statistics. That Man, <laughs> when I tell you calculus worked me out. Uh, so after the third attempt at calculus, I said, you know, I, I'm going to have to change my major. So um, there is a major at Davis. It's a sociology discipline uh, called organizational studies. Hmm. And it is basically the uh, sociology of business. And I loved it because it was about people. Mm -hmm. And uh, I get to run my mouth a lot, got to talk. Um, but, but really knowing, you know, how things worked. And at the time, I didn't understand what I was studying is like system level change mm -hmm. and the importance of um, integration and consensus building and even like the very beginnings of human-centered design. And so, uh, you know, I took that and didn't have to take any more math. I had taken all the math I needed to, <laughs> uh, praise God. And uh, so was able to move through that, um, that discipline. Now, of course, life is life. And so during the course of that time, I had a baby, then I got married, then I had another baby. So I left college. Mm -hmm. It literally took me 20 years to graduate from um, UC Davis. I started in 1989 and I got my undergraduate degree in 2009. Um, because I went back to school because my oldest daughter was a sophomore at Pepperdine University. And what I said is that baby was not going to graduate before co from college before me. <laughs> so uh, that tells you a little bit about my competitive spirit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that um, that really was the catalyst to go back. But it, it was uh, certainly another one of those pivotal moments where you um, are humbled um, because I had to work full time. Mm -hmm. I was working for Elk Grove Unified School District as a job developer and uh, working basically 12 hour days because that was at the time when universities were not interested in working age adults. So they had class when they had class. Mm -hmm. So I had to go to my job at eight in the morning, leave in the middle of the day, go to a one o'clock and a two o'clock class and then go back to my job until eight o'clock at night. Um, but I, I did it because, well, I wanted to graduate before my daughter. <laughs> and also because um, I, I knew that my mother had sacrificed uh, for me to get there. She kept my daughter my freshman year so I could live in the dorms and I couldn't allow that sacrifice to be in vain. Yeah. So um, graduated with a degree in sociology and um, shortly after that worked, started working for the first nonprofit that I worked for Goodwill. Mm -hmm. What a, an amazing story that you have and the fact that someone 
in just passing conversation believed that they weren't going to let you go to Mount Sac and there's nothing wrong with Mount Sac. Absolutely not. Right? Yeah. But the fact that he saw something in you or, you know, God showed him something mm-hmm. in you. Mm-hmm. The, and the fact that he had the clout to just make the phone call Come and on. you're in. That, right? that, That's that, favor and grace. And, okay? and hashtag life goals. Right? <laughs> I want to be able to pick up the right? phone and be able to do those kind of things for people that I know. Right? <laughs> right. And he, trust me, he never let me forget. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that that's an amazing story. And even then, even when he said you're in, mm-hmm. you could have allowed so many other obstacles mm-hmm. to, you know, no, well, what about my baby? And what about this? And all of these things to stop you from going. For sure. But the fact that you and your family and you had the family support mm-hmm. to be able to go lay the foundation and continue to uh, you know build this life that you had no idea that God had these plans for you all of these years Absolutely. later. Yeah, I mean, it, there are many uh, physical images of it, but um, I have uh, somewhere in storage uh, a painting where there's a woman walking off a cliff, but there's an almost invisible hand, mm-hmm. and it's the hand of God underneath that step. Mm-hmm. And it it is a constant reminder to me that I, I just have to keep moving and grace will take care of all of the rest yeah so it is um super important to me to pour into other people the hope and the possibility of what could be if you try and that really has been the benchmark of my career my work with elk grove unified school district was all in workforce development all helping people get and keep jobs and creating programs where people can gain skills to be able to improve their economic situation. And the world will beat you down if you let it. And if you let all of the voices and all of the people who don't have the ability to do it and they want to keep you with them doing nothing, if you let all of that weigh on you too much you will be frozen into inaction and it takes a whole bunch of courage to keep moving when you can't see a path it takes a whole Mm. bunch of faith to just keep going and and I'm certainly not special in that regard because I've had plenty of people shoving me from behind Mm -hmm. girl if you don't apply for that job Mm -hmm. (laughs) or (laughs) if you don't get over there and talk to those people so I I have had many champions Um, And I will tell you about that position with Goodwill. So um, it it was the director of workforce development. And I saw the job prior to completing the Nehemiah Emerging Leaders Program um, and just talked myself out of applying. I'm not qualified. Oh, they want this. Oh, they want that. Um, but my my NELP classmates, my brothers and sisters in class six were just so encouraging and and almost to the point of ridicule you know how you know how family <laughs> yeah, can get sometimes yeah. like girl if you don't get out here <laughs> stop playing but the job came open again i saw the job posting again mm-hmm. and i said okay lord this is you telling me yeah. that that i needed to apply and so i did and wanda when i tell you i hit send on my application and my phone rang almost instantly. Oh, wow. There was almost no time. And it it was them calling to schedule an interview. And I was, it was confusing. (laughs) I was like, why are these people calling me so quickly? Um, So then, of course, I got scared and skeptical. And, you know, I had to really think about it. And then 
when the human resources person told me who I'd be interviewing with, I realized that I had met the person before. And we'd done some advocacy work together around uh, something that is called the Ability to Benefit Test for Community College students. Um, it was a pathway. If you didn't have a high school diploma but could pass this Ability to Benefit Test, you could qualify for financial aid. Okay. And the community college system has gone through lots of change and iterations over the years. So, you know, it would only be the old heads that would know what I'm talking about right now. But that was a a pretty highly contested um, opportunity Mm -hmm. because what we know now, particularly in education, is having a high school diploma is privilege. You have to have had teachers that were good enough to get you the information that you needed to be successful in matriculating through the curriculum. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't, particularly in Title I schools, um, you know, schools that are in low socioeconomic areas. You have, you know, the teachers who are at the end of their tenure, the end of their rope, the end of the line, and so they they just don't care. Um, so that ability to benefit test was really an equity issue. It was, you know, there are many people who have the knowledge and skill and are smart enough to take college level courses, they just didn't have the privilege Mm -hmm. to complete a high school diploma. So I had sat on opposite ends of a table, but we were both arguing the same thing, Rachel and I were. And, you know, at the end of it, you know, we introduced ourselves to each other and shook hands and said, yeah, we gotta stay connected. And as life goes, we just didn't. Mm -hmm. And she was at one job at that that time and, and I was working for the school district And little did I know that my resume landed on her desk because she was the vice president of workforce development. And she told me later when she saw my name, she was so excited. She canceled all the rest of her interviews. (laughs) She told human resources to get me in the door as quick as possible. And I was headed to North Carolina for a national PTA conference later that week. And they got me through the entire hiring process, drug test, background check, all of that in like two or three days because they wanted to make sure when I got back, I would be working for them. So. Grace and favor, the story, Hallelujah. the life story of Robin Rose Hayward. <laughs> like that's, that's, that's the title of your book. For You're real, welcome. for real. I, I, hold on, let me write that down because that is excellent. Yeah, you know, again, and it's about those interactions, how we show up in places, mm-hmm. how we interact with people. Like people sometimes you, and, and I've been guilty of this myself and have corrected myself since then, but have shown up to places where, oh, this doesn't really matter or I don't need to be my full self or whatever and little do we know that there are always people watching Mm -hmm. us Mm -hmm. watching our character and you never know when you'll have that full circle moment where you'll come back around and now that's the person that you may need to help you get to that next level absolutely well you know and the interesting thing is because I've been in workforce development so long I've watched um, friends and colleagues and, and clients really like try to play chess with their career and orchestrate it and and do all of these things. And and it certainly does work for some people, but that has never been the way that I've I've functioned in my career. And it is always a bit sad to me when I see people really working hard to go through all of these machinations to get to a place 
when they haven't learned to trust, when they haven't um, you know, really figured out who they are so they can't show up to places and be authentic, they're always trying to project like this image. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a, a friend and I, I'm always talking to her about paper chasing. And I said, girl, you gotta stop paper chasing mm-hmm. because quite honestly, all money's not good money. Right. And you know, this that's that's for all, all my Domino's friends. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> just like in Domino's, sometimes what you have to sacrifice to be able to, you know, get that that paper is not worth it. And it's not just time. Sometimes it's pieces of ourselves. Mm-hmm. If we want to live a happy life, we have to be able to show up in the fullness of our being, yeah. which means we have to know who that is and we have to be okay with it. I am loud. Anyone who has ever met me knows <laughs> I am voluminous. And anyone who is around me who uses that as a weapon, oh, girl, you're too loud. We can't we can't hang. Yeah. We can't be cool yeah. because that volume poured into my daughter who was a goalkeeper on a soccer field and mama had to be able to talk to her, you know, a hundred yards away. Mm-hmm. Or that volume has been what has stood in the front of advocacy situations and spoken for hundreds of people. That volume comes from deep inside of me. It's it's my heart. It's It's one of my gifts. So if you can't appreciate that, then we can't be cool we can hang but but we can't be cool so it's little nuances of people's character and and people's being that they need to be able to know and embrace and also being able to recognize microaggressions because a lot of times people will hate on things about you that they don't like about themselves yeah and understanding then that what we are for that person is a mirror and they're not actually looking at us they're just looking at themselves. So we just have to wish them well oh, man. and send them on their way. You didn't said a whole word right there. <laughs> oh, my goodness. We're going to take a break, family. Um, man, this is wonderful conversation, family. Don't go anywhere. I'll be back with more conversation with my guest, Robin Rose Hamer. Uh, we're talking about, we're eventually talking about the city of Sacramento <laughs> Racial Equity Council, but such juicy information right now. Just talking about life and, and showing up and being your your best and authentic self in all situations mm-hmm. and why Walking and stepping out on faith, yes. no matter what. Keep it right here, family. We'll be right back after this. This is full circle. You're lucky I don't have no juvenile because when you said paper chase, I was like, use a paper chase. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be right back after this, fam. Empowerment through conversation that starts with you. Tell us what topics you want to hear. Drop us a line at fullcircle975 at gmail.com. And she is back, empowering you with knowledge and wisdom. This is Full Circle with Miss Wanda. We're back, family. Thank you so much for staying with the program. This is Full Circle. I'm your host, Miss Wanda, having a conversation with my guest, Robin Rose Hamer. She is an organizational developer. She is a member of the City of Sacramento Racial Equity Council and just a phenomenal woman. And first of all, oh. she is about to be in about three days, my Ewok sister. Yes, yes. congratulations on your Ooh. 2022 Ewok uh, Award nomination. And uh, you will be getting that on Tuesday night. I'll be in the house. Yes. yes I will be in the house. Yes. So congratulations on the Ewok. That's just, it's like such an honor to mm-hmm. be recognized in that way. Absolutely. You know? um, shout out to Sac Cultural Hub and Plachette. At, they are 
an amazing organization and there isn't a lot of places in life that is just lifting up black women like yeah. it people who work hard literally the foundation of the nation and um, the exceptional woman of color award is such an honor um, because there are many people who are out here grinding, you know, doing all of this really great work. So yeah. to be uh, honored amongst the list of people who have been honored and will be honored on Tuesday is it's very humbling and I, I'm very grateful. And what a, a again, full circle moment. And I love when I see people say, what a full circle moment, because I'd be like, that's my show. <laughs> uh, but what a full circle moment to go from this young mother, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm not uh, uncertain of your future For sure. to being to where you are now and now getting an exceptional woman of color award. I Absolutely. think that's amazing. Well, and you know, it's so wonderful because everybody thought I couldn't. And that's that, that actually is another aspect of it. I'm incredibly stubborn. Um, everybody who knows me, who heard me say that out loud, delete this from your memory. Um, <laughs> but I... Just anytime someone tells me I can't do something, it just makes it that much more important that I actually do. And um, I, I had my daughter a, a long time ago. Like I said, she's 34. So, you know, back in the 80s, teen pregnancy was like a death sentence. You know, that, that's where you go for your life to be over. Right. And, you know, I, I props to my mama who as mentioned, very hard woman, but she sent me into the welfare office on a regular basis, go apply. I wasn't qualified because she was paying for our lives. They they had very specific rules about that, um, but she made me stand in those lines and understand what life would be if, uh, you know, if I kept making choices that would lead me down that path. And um, I, I didn't want to have to explain to anybody, you know, what I was doing with my time or where my money was coming from. And that's one of the reasons why, um, you know, social, serv social service programs and social benefit programs are, are part of what I, I want to reorganize because we need to instill pride in people so that they can be successful. We can't keep tearing people down. So. Ewok is such a wonderful opportunity to uplift um, women of color and, and give them really hope that somebody is looking and paying attention and, and just noticing what we do. Yeah, yeah, amazing. I also want to talk a little bit about the Nehemiah Emerging Leader Program. We talked a little bit off air, but I, you know, as we were talking, I was, you know, thinking there are a lot of people... We, in the top of the show, you mentioned nonprofit work. Mm -hmm. And, <clears throat> excuse me, that is an area where people can get a, a feel for what's really happening on the ground. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll put it, let me put a pin in that. I'm kind of, I'm in two tracks right now. So let me go over <laughs> to the NELP track and then come back to that. So I want to talk about the Nehemiah Emerging Leaders Program. I have seen that 
you know, I've seen friends go through that, and it seems like an amazing program. There may be people that are out there that may have an interest in participating in this type of program and have misconceptions like me, like I thought you had to have a master's degree or higher mm, in order to mm-hmm. get into this program. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about that and what it is? Absolutely. So the Nehemiah Emerging Leaders Program, or NELP, because that's usually what people mm-hmm. call it, uh, is a program that was started 13 years ago um, by Scott Syfax and the Nehemiah Corporation. And it really was designed to help get young leaders and, and entrepreneurial leaders and freer thinking leaders into rooms where decisions were being made. So it, it technically is about board service. But in order to show up as your full and authentic self Mm -hmm. and be a good steward of that responsibility, you have to know who you are. So NELP really has two main components. One is the personal leader development part, and then the other is understanding how boards work and and power and, and how you be in the room where it happens. I love to do yes. a Hamilton I reference. Was thinking, I was singing that in my head <laughs> as you said that. <laughs> so, yeah, NELP is um, it's a phenomenal program. It's 10 months, so you have to be fairly willing to give over a good portion of a year of your life to the process. And um, in my experience, people who have been the most successful in the process are people who are really willing to lean in. And that concept is is kind of hard uh, when you think about, you know, all of our other many responsibilities. Most people, you know, have full-time jobs and families and even other, you know, educational opportunities that they're pursuing during that time. And so really learning how to balance um, is it's a skill um, and it's a sacrifice, but it's well worth it. In my opinion, I am a NELP cheerleader. I have always been. Um, and it, it really transformed my life and, and really the way that I look at opportunity and um, privilege. Yeah. That's where the tracks are coming back together now. So when the, I remember when we were talking off air, we did talk about board service. Mm-hmm. So now I want to go back to that and let people know that that is a great place to, if you want to get it, if you're looking to get involved or even just be in the know on what's happening, mm-hmm. board service is a great place to be. I was in, I was, uh, this is, I'm on a second board now, but I was on a, the first board I was ever on um, was a nonprofit and it was an organization where a lot, there was there were very few people that looked like me mm-hmm. and that experience was so different mm-hmm. than the board I'm on now I'm on the board for Black Women United oh. um, but on that board there were so many things that I learned about people right and about interaction mm-hmm. and how I see that a lot of people use these use boards as just a stepping stone right and not really looking to serve a community that you know this this organization was created to serve mm-hmm. um, so that was a completely different thing than this uh, at black women United where I'm first of all I am the population right and it gives me better insight as to what people that have different experiences than me actually are going through and then how can I get there and how can I help and what are the real resources that are available in the community because that's Mm -hmm. a one thing that we don't really understand right is resources and resource how that works 
Yeah, that, you, you've said a lot. And so I think where I, I want to start is is board service because there's a lot of different kinds of boards. There's nonprofit boards. Mm-hmm. Um, every nonprofit organization is a requirement from the state of California in order to have that status has to have a board. So, you know, there's working boards. So people who, you know, are serving the soup or answering the phones. And then there's advisory boards and people who, you know, are making policy and, and helping the organization to live its best life. Um, and understanding really what your mission is is very important because you don't want to be on a working board if you were meant to be on an advisory board and vice versa. Um, shout out to Aziza Davis Goins for uh, giving me ad- all of my advisory yes. board chops yes. uh, with the foundation because she will teach you a thing or two <laughs> yes, for she sure. Will. <laughs> um, but The point there is that understanding, you know, what type of service, what level of service that you have. And and most boards, if not all boards, have what's called a give-get. So it's an amount of money, typically, that you need to be able to bring to the organization and either an in-kind or cash value. And that's just to build the mission of the organization. If you are building the book of work, that counts. If you are bringing in partners, that counts. Or if you're doing a fundraiser, that counts. But nonprofit organizations need the money. And it is very important for people to decide what they're passionate about, not necessarily what they're good at, but what they're passionate about and be able to to serve on those boards because people need quality board members. Now, what's a quality board member? First of all, people who show up. Meetings have rules. You can't make decisions if you don't have a certain number of people who are in the room. That quorum is important. So you want to honor your your colleagues by showing up um, and also them being prepared. They're some boards have, you know, a 10-page board packet. Other boards have a 200-page board packet. But whatever board you're on, make sure you're reading those materials so that you can make uh, an educated decision about how the organization is being run. And then really having an understanding that your network is coming and bring b- brought to bear in the service of this organization. So if there's an event or if there is a, you know, drive or if there's an information uh, campaign that needs to be shared out, that you do your part in that regard because it's an easier lift when everyone who's on a board is is actually participating as fully as they can. And sometimes you need to step off and that's okay. It's okay if you need to deal with family issues or work issues or school issues or whatever, but you you do your colleagues a disservice if you continue to stay and you're not doing what they expect and need for you to do. Um, And to your point then, you get an opportunity to have a bird's eye view into what that organization does. And I have sat on the boards of some really phenomenal organizations, small, organizations in Sacramento, but they do great work, which I would have never had any exposure to had I not sat on the board. And then by extension, all the people that I know got exposure to it because I was like, oh, come come by a plate of barbecue or come over here to this rally or all of those things because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to share what we know. Right, right. And if board service is not for you, just getting involved with the nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Again, there's so much good work going on mm-hmm. and so many hands needed for the in the nonprofit world of just people, volunteers, you right. know, or like like Robin mentioned, you know, if you're having events or just spreading the word, you know, 
nonprofits can always use communities help because that's what they're there to do is to serve a particular community. Absolutely. So why not go ahead, go out and help? I want to um, transition into what we're here, the, the topic of the hour. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll finally get to the <laughs> Sacramento racial. You just have such an interesting background, Robin. Like, I could sit and talk to you all day. So Yes, um, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> when we come back from the break, we are going to talk about the Sacramento Racial Equity Council, what that is, what that means for us here in Sacramento, and how we can either get involved or let our voice be known. This is Full Circle. I'm your host, Miss Wanda. We'll be right back after this. If you have something to add to the conversation, drop us a line at Full Circle975 at gmail.com. And we're back with Miss Wanda, life coach, motivational speaker, and friend of sisters everywhere. This is Full Circle. We are back, family. Thank you so much for staying with the program. This is Full Circle. I'm your host, Miss Wanda, having a wonderful conversation with my guest, Robin Rose Hamer, organizational developer, and she is also a member of the City of Sacramento Racial Equity Council. We are going to get on. I just enjoy talking to you so much. Thank you. You have to come. I don't know if you follow the show at all or me. Absolutely. Like, I have my new patio, mm-hmm. right? I'm mm-hmm. all excited about it. You have to come to the patio. Yes. That'll be the new thing. Like, you have to come to the patio for, you know, wine. And snacks. Come on. Now, everybody who knows me knows that that's my thing. I will have wine and a charcuterie board in a heartbeat. I love it. Yes. So we'll have to make that happen. But, you know, I, we, I invited Robin here today to talk about the Sacramento Racial Equity Council. This is It's actually a fairly new mm-hmm. body mm-hmm. that has been appointed by the city of Sacramento. So I'm going to let you take it away here in terms of introducing what is the council and what are the responsibilities that are entrusted to the council. Sure. So um, shout out to my uh, council colleagues. Um, It was a long journey to get here. It was um, an an interesting application process and rigorous, which goes to show how very important it, it is. But the priorities for the Racial Equity Council are to guide the city's work to transform how it works to achieve racial equity. So really looking at uh, governmental policies, uh, programs through a racial equity lens, um, and taking apart some of the historical inequities uh, to ensure that everyone has a similar opportunity. Also, um, it includes guiding the city council on the development of effective community engagement. So, um, you know, we can all say that we've been to meetings and looked around and there weren't a lot of people who looked like us making decisions. And so uh, having the opportunity to act as a liaison with the city council and give them, you know, the tea about what they need to know and and also um, acting as a mirror. And, and that's another one of my favorite kind of analogies because oftentimes in life we're either mirrors or windows and um, we don't have very many mirrors that we can trust and so the racial equity council is a trusted mirror for the city to be able to show them what those inequities are and and help to eliminate those inequities in the city and we are working with the racial equity leadership network because their goal is really to continue to work with the city council and guide that that work as well. So, yeah. 
big job. Um, and as with all new things, there are lots of words on a page that describe what we do. And then people get in a meeting like, oh, what, what are we actually supposed to be doing? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so we're having those meetings now. Um, and, you know, when you're in a room with a bunch of people who really care and really know what's going on, it gets tuned up fast. Like, yeah. this is what we should be doing and we need to do this and we need to do this and this. So that's where we are right now um, and looking to um, have an impact right away. So like, how do we take um, the budget and turn it on its head and be very um, authentic and transparent about how dollars are spent? Um, making sure that communities of color that have been historically disenfranchised start to gain a little bit of parity uh, with other areas of the city and you know we don't have to call out those neighborhoods we know we, right. we've, we've driven through them we know where we live and uh, quite honestly it's due to historic redlining it's due to um, you know how they developed uh, municipal transportation so just doing all the work that we can to remediate some of those situations right away so when were you guys seated um, in the last month. So okay. uh, we were, the announcement came out where the city council voted, I think, about five or six weeks ago um, to make it official. Um, and uh, six or seven weeks ago is when we were notified. But the process took several months. There was an application and then two interviews. We had to give, you know, references. So it was not a small or insignificant process mm -hmm. uh, and I'm very very grateful to all of the people who did the work to kind of you know call through those applications there were well over a hundred people who wanted to participate in the racial equity council and there's just 12 of us so it was you know it was a tough road to hoe for sure yeah what drew you to it um, the equity piece, um, I have been working in systems to create opportunity because I'm all about hard work, right? Like anybody who knows me knows I get up early, stay up late. That's just what I do. And I don't have the expectation that everyone will match that energy, but I certainly have the expectation that if you say that you want something, that you're going to work for it. Yeah. Anything worth having is worth working for. And I also say you're going to work hard now or you're going to work hard later, but you're going to work hard. Yeah. So understanding then that there is an opportunity now to work hard and create opportunity for folks in the city who don't have a voice, don't understand how these systems work, never were invited to the table to have a conversation. Uh, community meetings are kind of an old school thing, right? Town halls, all of that. But what happens with that information is a new thing because there was no layers of accountability in many cases. So the Racial Equity Council creates a layer of accountability for the city that what the folks that are in the neighborhoods are saying is what needs to be done. Not, you know, not all the little post-its are now thrown in the trash after we're done having the meeting and nobody's going to pay attention to that anymore. So, you know, we're the, the bellwether for communities of color and disenfranchised communities, but also, you know, it's an educated group of people. So they, they are very clear about the historical inequities and what it will take in order to create an environment where folks can literally thrive. It is so easy to 
uh, you know, put a sticker up on a wall and say, oh, look what this new thing you have. But it, it, it just covers up all of the ugliness behind it. You know, the Race of Equity Council is about tear the wall down. Mm-hmm. Let's put put up the, the thing that's right and, tr- and true and good for everyone. And I think that that's important because you have to be willing to do the hard work in order to fix what's broken. And there's a lot of stuff broken. Yeah, absolutely. I just hope that so you your body will bring recommendations back to the city council for action. Mm -hmm. And also look at look at actions that are being proposed or newly taken and reflect back regarding issues of racial equity. So just ensuring that nothing is left unaddressed um, because just because it's over decided doesn't mean that we we can't have a voice. And so really ensuring that we are continuously vigilant and not allowing um, some of the historic like bait and switch uh, type of things to happen. Oh, yeah, we'll get to that, you know, next month or in the next bill or in the next mm-hmm. whatever, you know, not no more kicking the can down the road. Right? Yeah. We're looking to create issue and, and parity right now. Um, I, I will quote um, April Jean. She said just recently um, there are communities that are hurting right now. And what are we going to do right now that can immediately serve as notice that we are effective? And so that's really the charge of the council is not to sit back and wait. Um, we're not the go to meetings type. I mean, we go to meetings, but we not the only that that's not the only thing that we're going to do. Yeah. We are going to accomplish things and make a difference. And I like that challenge that April Jean said because, and you're you're right, you know, we see time and time again, oh, we're going to form this committee or this special task force mm-hmm. or this and that and the other, and then we never hear what the end result is. Or right. We never see any action behind the creation of this entity or mm-hmm. body. And so I like that your, your group, the Racial Equity Council, is focused on how do we make an impact right now? We're gonna do some things later, but right now, how do we let people know we're here, we're listening, and we're not just listening, but we're ready to take some action. Mm-hmm. I like that um, because it gives us hope that, okay, maybe this is this time it's different. Right. You know, this time there actually will be things that will happen that will come to fruition that will will visit will be able to see changes take place. And that gives a community hope because when there's no hope, you know, like, I mean, the Bible says people perish because they don't have any vision or hope. Right. Right. And so it gives people a hope that somebody's actually listening. And hope breeds action. You know, it gives you a catalyst to keep showing up, to keep trying. Um, And quite honestly, that's how community colors have Communities, communities of color have been kind of beaten back into um, subservience because they killed the hope. And yeah. the infusion of possibility is the one thing that we have an, an advantage at right now because we can you know, be able to move ourselves forward in a way that's practical, uh, but also reinventing what's possible. Yeah. Because oftentimes, 
they'll say, oh, that there's not enough money in the budget for that. Or, oh, we won't be able to um, address that issue at this meeting. And, and this council is really designed to be sure that we're you know, kicking the tires, we're lifting the hood. We wanna really take a closer look at what is being served up to ensure that it has an equity focus. Because if it's, if it's not equitable, and again, there is definitely differences between equal and equitable, right? right? Like we can't just sprinkle the same number of dollars throughout the si- different neighborhoods in the city of Sacramento and expect that that has some ability to move the needle. There are some communities where there has been a historic disinvestment and those communities are going to require additional investments. Now that's not always money, oftentimes it is, and investment means a variety of things. We talked about this in terms of board service. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's time, sometimes it's attention, sometimes it's just making sure that all of the eyes are pointed in this direction and we stay steadfastly focused on the fact that all of these areas need to be addressed. So um, whatever the, whether it's money, whether it's time, whether it's policy, we are fully committed to ensuring that places where they haven't had the attention Mm -hmm. and there has been a disinvestment on purpose, that we're going to address that. So will the council also look at the policies of different city entities, like say the police department or, you know, uh, public works or just different things like that to see where policies may have some disparity? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So the immediate goal is kind of tackling things that are before us, which are, you know, the policies that are being proposed or Mm -hmm. the, the budget issues that are being proposed. But at some point in time, we will have the ability to kind of dig back into the past or certainly as things come up and there's intersectionality, we'll be able to say, oh, well, this connects back here. And unless we unearth this thing or unless we remove this barrier, none of the rest of these things are going to work as they are intended. So having the ability to uh, provide a, a different viewpoint, I think, is another important aspect of this work. Yeah, yeah. What's the makeup of the body in terms of, is it nonprofit, you know, uh, people that work in non in the nonprofit sector, mm-hmm. private, like what's the makeup of the, the body? You know, the interesting thing is it is a, a pretty clear mix of folks that work in nonprofit and for-profit. There are people, there are some entrepreneurs, artists, um, you know, people who have been involved in government, um, people who are in consulting. Uh, certainly, everyone has a background in advocacy and, and equity. Um, and you know, our, our male-female ratio is is fairly balanced. Um, and also, uh, there's a, a wide variety of races and ethnicities. It's, it's really all the voices are at the table, which is. Um, it's a hard thing to do. Yeah. You know, you're looking at a two-dimensional application uh, and, and trying to get a, a perfect union of people to be able to come together. And, you know, the, the selection committee did a great job. That's good. I'm glad to hear that there is a nice mix of ethnicities mm-hmm. that are at the table, too, because I think a lot of times, unfortunately, when we think of racial equity, we only think of it in terms of black and white. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there are so many, you know, I hate to see 
other communities of color not be served because we don't think about them in the same way sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that can be unfortunate. Well, and the other thing is that is a uh, one of the master's tools, how mm-hmm. communities of color get pitted against one another. Yeah. Well, you know, all the black folks are at all the seats at the table, so now we don't have any space for our Latinx folks or, you know, our uh, Asian Pacific Islander folks. Mm-hmm. And all of those fights, if you go back historically, were started by white folks. Like, they, oh, no, we don't want them to group up. Right. <laughs> we, we can't continue to subjugate them right. if they all got together in the same room and spoke with the same voice. So this is a, a one of those opportunities to erase that historical inequity, which is the separation of people who had like-minded views and like-minded experiences. Um, and one thing that I, I think is really important to talk about is we are able to be subjugated because they perpetuate a culture of lack. And we are not lacking in the city of Sacramento. There is an abundance. Does that mean we have all of the money for everything we could ever want? Absolutely not. But in every person's budget, the best way to find out what they value is, Mm -hmm. you know, you look at their calendar, you look at their checkbook, right? So that's really what this is about. What do we say we value? Let's line that up with our calendar. Let's line this up with our checkbook. And let's make sure that that there's some parity there, that that matches. And if we believe, which we do, that equity is a value of the city of Sacramento, then we're going to have to start to make make our our checkbook aligned to that. Yeah. Has the, the so I mean I know you your organization or the council is still just in its kind of infancy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But how what r- type of reception? have you received already from the council members? Everybody is, it, it's like family, right? Like when you get into a group of people who understand you and and trust your purpose, because that part is important. Trust mm-hmm. is how all relationships are successful. And so when people trust each other and, and their intention, you don't feel like you have to take up more space than than you need to. You can kind of sit back. And I, and I love sitting and listening. And again, anyone who knows me knows I run my mouth. But in these spaces, it's so intriguing to sit and listen to your colleagues talk about what they have observed or identified or their ideas. And I literally want to sit and just take pages of notes, just listening to, you know, the ideas and and hopes of of my colleagues because they're they're brilliant individuals with incredible insight and their experiences collectively are going to weave this beautiful opportunity. Well, we certainly do need this, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm I'm glad that the mayor and the, the city council have created this avenue for this, uh, the racial equity council to be in existence. And I definitely look forward to what can come of this. For sure. As a, as a native Sacramentan and, and just really proud of my city really looking forward to and, and wanting the best for the city. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they we've had some dark days mm-hmm. and they're not it's not like everything's all bright and sunshine now, but we're getting to a place where it's better. Like we're actually focusing and one of the things we talked about off air that I kind of wanted to bring on to the conversation was that, you know, you have to address 
you have to be able to acknowledge mm -hmm. the fact that we have had those dark days. And that was because of, you know, racial, um, how do I say, um, not racial uh, policies, but policies that were not inequitable mm -hmm. for us. Mm -hmm. um, and things you talked about, the you know, historic redlining and things like that. Like we have to be able to, and the city council and everyone has to be able to recognize, yes, this stuff did happen and some of it's still happening now. Mm -hmm. These are the things that we're trying to fix. We can't go into being in a place of denial. Right. Well, you actually bring up um, one of my favorite topics, which is reparations. And oftentimes when we have conversations of reparations, people are thinking about monetary. And don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, the day 40 acres and a mule starts coming around, I'll be in the line too. Um, but reparations is rooted in repair. And the only way you can fix something is if you acknowledge it's broken. Yeah. And, uh, you know, an apology goes a long way if it's sincere and backed up by consistent future action. And oftentimes, our ego is the thing that prevents us from being able to create that trust again with an apology because we start to think of all of the reasons why we're justified in our actions. And sometimes I'm sorry, not I'm sorry that happened to you mm -hmm. or I'm sorry you feel that way, but I'm sorry makes a huge difference because yeah. for that moment in that beat and space of time we are cleaving together in the hope that we had we can fill this gap yeah. and and i think your point of acknowledging historical inadequacies acknowledging the fact that there are groups of people who were not done right by will go a long way now after you say sorry, if your behavior remains the same, clearly you were not sorry. Mm -hmm. But being sorry and actually doing something different really makes all of all of the change possible. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope that that's, you know, really taken to heart as we move forward. We are going to take a quick break when we come back more with Robin Rose Hamer, a member of the City of Sacramento Racial Equity Council. We'll be right back after this. This is Full Circle. Like what you hear? Drop us a line at fullcircle975 at gmail.com. Empowering women through conversation. This is what she does. She's Miss Wanda, and this is Full Circle. We're back, family. Thank you so much for staying with the program. This is Full Circle. I'm your host, Miss Wanda, having a wonderful conversation with my guest and my new friend, Robin Rose Hamer. She is a member of the City of Sacramento Racial Equity Council. We've been talking about the council. It is new family, so we, you know... We expect good things from them, but they're still new. They're still kind of formulating and getting things together and, mm -hmm. and, and deciding how they want to make the best impact for us here in Sacramento um, in terms of racial equity. And there's so much work to do. Do you guys have terms like are you on, on the council for like so long or so? Um, there is not terms yet. Um, I would expect with any good organization yeah. that you would want to be able to continuously infuse new ideas and new energy into mm -hmm. the space. Um, and 
I think that one of the exciting things is many of the folks who are on the council are young, have young children, you know, have, you know, robust careers. And so as time goes on, those folks are going to, you know, have challenges or responsibilities that will take them away. So I'm sure as time goes by, we will be developing that we are we were talking about governance at our last meeting. So those are things that we are just starting to dig into now. Yeah. What as as a member of the Racial Equity Council, what is it that you want us to know as the listeners, as Sacramentans? What is it that you want us to know in terms of like if there are a few key things that you can tell us right now? that you want us to know for sure, what would those things be? Um, one of the things is that we we will be convening folks. And so if you see meetings okay. or uh, events being put on by the Racial Equity Council, we, we deeply are interested in your voice, your participation. We want people to come and share what needs be done with the council. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is we are not a function of the Sacramento City Council. We are an independent body and and really um, working to ensure that they are living up to the promise of an equitable city of Sacramento. So, um, you know, if you're looking for a saying where it's our job to hold their feet to the fire. Mm -hmm. um, so certainly uh, we might need you to show us where that fire is. And and I don't think that anyone who's on the council has the opinion that we know all things already. Mm -hmm. uh, we are in a spirit of curiosity and discovery. So certainly reaching out to the council with ideas about um, policies or issues that need to be addressed or, or certainly ideas about ways that we can help remediate some of the inequities are, are welcomed. Yeah, I wanna go back to the very beginning. Um, and I guess we probably should have done this at the beginning of our conversation, but you mentioned it and I wanna go back to it, the difference between equity and equality. I mm -hmm. think it's important for people to understand what that difference is because when we say the racial equity council, this is what we mean. And I and I need I need the family to understand that that's what equity looks like. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there is a really great graphic that exists out in the world uh, that gives you a, a visual representation of the difference between equality and equity. But the reality is equality means we all get exactly the same thing. So if you think about a young child uh, at a fence, if we give uh, a young child a two foot block to look over a fence and the fence is eight feet tall, they're still going to be looking at the fence if they're four feet, right? They're, that's only six feet of view, viewing for them. But if you give an adult who is six feet tall a two foot block, then they can see over the fence. Now, those items are equal. You gave the child a two foot block and you gave the adult a two foot block, but it doesn't really help the child. It only helps the adult. So making sure that we're not falling into the trap of that everybody has to get the exact same thing in order to be, quote, fair. And I, I say this to people all the time and it gets on everyone's nerves, but life is not fair. Yeah. And that is a truism that we must understand. Fairness is not a thing. If life was fair, we would never be born because I know, but for grace, I would not be here right now. So the reality is 
equity affords us the ability to investigate what someone really needs in order to see over the fence. And that means if Robin needs a two-foot block, but Wanda needs an eight-foot block, that we provide that to Wanda and understand that that's not taking anything away from Robin. And so having a very clear understanding that equity results in a difference being made and observed based on what someone needs, and that's just how it works. And I think that oftentimes we've been separated because there's the scarcity model, right? Like we don't have enough to go around. If I give you this, then I won't have this. But we are meant to live abundantly. We, we were designed for that purpose. There is more air than we could ever use unless we use it unwisely. And then the air goes away. So having an understanding of what our resources are so that we can distribute them equitably, having an understanding more importantly of what the need is and if there have been inequities, historical disinvestment. And a lot of times you hear those phrases and it doesn't really, you know, what does this even mean, historical disinvestment? That means that over time, a community or an area has received less of a contribution than other places, which has resulted in an accumulated problem. And sometimes that's in, you know, the way neighborhoods look. Sometimes that's in schools. Sometimes that's in parklands, which affects our air quality. Sometimes it's in business, which means some communities are food deserts. They don't have a grocery store um, or, or other types of quality businesses, right? Like there are some areas of our city you go and there's a mini mart. That's it. There is not a grocery store. Now, the difference is when I go into my local Safeway or Whole Foods or Sprouts, I have all of the fresh fruits and vegetables that I could possibly want, A to Z, purple to orange, all of the types at my disposal. But there are some communities you can go and there's just a banana on the counter or an apple on the counter. And if I want fruit, I'm going to take whatever this, this leftover piece of fruit is. And oftentimes it's not the best quality. If we are not eating well, we are not living well. And, you know, I'm, I'm not the fitness guru. Again, anybody who knows me knows that is not my thing. But I do understand that we are what we eat. And so if you don't have access to quality food, then that impacts your ability to learn. That impacts your ability to go to work. Uh, our health, right? We, we were talking earlier about, you know, the vitamins and the different types of um, minerals and, and different types of uh supplements that we can take when when we have issues or problems and we're designed actually to get most of that from our food but if we're not eating quality food then it impacts that so this this little bird walk about equity is that everybody really should have a grocery store in their community and if you look around sacramento that's not the case so that's an area of historic disinvestment. And there's lots of reasons why people will give you why that grocery store closed or why this is not here anymore, but it doesn't matter because we need to do whatever it takes to make sure that all of the communities in Sacramento have access to good food. That impacts 
how children's brains are forming, that impacts our mood, that impacts our ability to interpret and incorporate information. So if I'm in the third grade and I have um, terrible food at home because we don't have food access Mm -hmm. and I go to the third grade and cut up and I get sent out of class, now my math is not mathing. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that becomes the problem of the child and not the problem of the system. And so the Racial Equity Council is designed to be able to look upstream, to be able to say, well, your graduation rates are low, but that's probably due in part to some of these other mitigating factors, including things like food deserts. That was such a a thorough explanation. And as you were talking, I was thinking about, I never thought about the importance of even that, I'm going to say small thing, but it's not a small thing in terms of having access to food, Mm -hmm. right? I remember just being in different places around the city or even around the state and noticing this, just what you mentioned. And even when I lived in San Francisco, we had a a, uh, corner store Mm -hmm. and then the, the grocery store was quite a distance away Mm -hmm. and so and there wasn't uber back then so we had to walk or ride our bike or take the bus down Mm -hmm. to the safeway um in the in fillmore and so i was thinking of as you were talking that never really dawned on me until later in my life that Mm -hmm. those things are important right that just having access to this and not the whole or something that's better for you looking at and driving through neighborhoods. In fact, I was just driving through a neighborhood um, uh, the other day and I was like, wow, it just really looks run down. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and if, you know, and I always say this, if this was such and such, that lot wouldn't be vacant. Or if this was this part of town, that lot wouldn't have stayed vacant for 20 years or, you know, this, that, and the other. And it's true. And those are the things that, that I'm sure the council is either working on or wants to hear from us that these are the things that are happening or these are the things that we're noticing or these are the things that are impacting our livelihoods and the way we live. Absolutely. Land use is incredibly important. Um, You know, the the subject of people experiencing homelessness, particularly in the city of Sacramento, well, everywhere really, is a huge topic. Um, And I will not go down the nimbyism rabbit hole, but let me tell you, I have a whole soapbox Mm -hmm. about people who say not in my backyard, um, because the reality is everyone has the right to live somewhere. Housing is a human right. And as Often as people want to talk about bootstraps and pulling yourself up, that's where that aspect of um, that privilege and how it becomes invisible to us. We get further and further away from how we got to someplace, the more privilege we have. And so, you know, this Racial Equity Council is designed to unearth some of that privilege in certain communities in the Sacramento region and not necessarily uh, to be an agitator or not necessarily to diminish any other area's success, but certainly to say, how did you get there? Let's, Let's take a view, a bird's eye view about how you came to have this level of success. And a lot of it has to do with early investments. Yeah. 
and you know the opportunity to be able to take advantage of this policy or this pot of money and and the reality is many of the communities that aren't doing as well that have run down lots or or other areas of blight those communities have not had someone to champion them and get uh, quality use into those spaces so if all we did was just physically clean up spaces and make them more usable and visually appealing that would impact some communities right if you look better you feel better yeah everybody will tell you if you're feeling bad you're supposed to go put on your prettiest thing the fix your hair put on some lipstick or your best shoes or your best jays or whatever and go out and get yourself some sunshine because that physical act of sprucing yourself up improves your mood it's the same thing about communities so and there are many organizations and when i say there are lots of micro organizations in sacramento that are working really hard there is uh an organization called best it's building empowerment skills today and um joe watts does such a great job with next to nothing when i tell you this organization has nothing But they do beautification projects in the Oak Park area and take young children, uh, middle schoolers, and teach them how to do these maintenance and beautification projects. And then they get paid a stipend every week. And it's for a short period in the summertime. But you see these kids going from house to house to cutting lawns and edging um, trees and, and doing paint trimming and things like that. And it really, it improves not only the curb appeal of some some folks house but it also gives young people skills and it teaches them the power of investing in your community and again that's just one tiny little uh, nonprofit organization that is doing big work that is hugely impactful in the oak park area this has been such a wonderful conversation, Robin. I First of all, let me put this out there. You have an open door to come back and have Yay! more conversation. Like I said, I could talk <laughs> to you like all day, especially about this and about the equity piece and really getting people to understand what it means mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. truly have equity, what equity looks like, right. and what are some of the um, things that disenfranchise our communities that we, you know, I was at a meeting last night and they were saying, you know, you, you don't know what's not normal if you have this ab you know if you grow up in this abnormal thing right with this abnormal mm-hmm. thing you don't know what's not normal because mm. that's your normal right so if we have people that are growing up with the corner stores i'm like all i know is a corner store and de- don't really realize the impact of only having that versus having a grocery store right you know all we know is what we know right so being able to be open to knowing more knowing what equity means and how we can bring that about for our communities is a wonderful thing. And I wish all of you on the Racial Equity Council the best, you know, just the best in in undertaking, because this is a huge undertaking. For sure. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I wouldn't be myself if I didn't have this uh, opportunity for a teachable moment. So one of my favorite theoretical frameworks is the Johari window. Oh. And it is about reducing the number of things that you don't know that you don't know. So that doesn't mean that you know it. It just means that you are no longer walking around not knowing that you don't have this knowledge. And that is really what this is about. It's an exploration. It's an expedition of 
surfacing the things that we don't know we didn't know existed and taking some time to be able to investigate those things through a racial equity lens and righting some wrongs for sure but also finding a good way forward to be able to uh, say that we're doing right by all of the citizens yeah. in Sacramento. Yeah. Robin, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for being here and for having this conversation and letting us know about the Sacramento Racial Equity Council. Looking forward to hearing more from you all yes. and finding out how we can participate and get involved as well. Thank you. Family, that's how we're doing it. The time just goes by so fast. I can do this for another couple of hours, um, but this is wonderful. I am grateful for the blessing of being able to bring content like this to you guys every week. Thank you so much for listening. Please support the show any way you can follow the show on instagram at full underscore circle 975 at gmail.com and on facebook at full circle 97.5 tell your friends tell your family and as always show love to everyone you meet and i'll see you next week peace this has been full circle follow our facebook page at full circle 97.5